Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing. Well, Andy Farrell has named his team for arguably the biggest Ireland rugby game Lansdowne Road has ever staged, with a chance to win a Grand Slam there for the first time on Saturday. So Farrell has made three changes to his team that started the win over Scotland. Uh, for the game against England on Saturday. We knew a few of these were coming because of injuries to Gary Ringrose and Ian Henderson. So Robbie Henshaw comes into the centre alongside Bundy Aki and Ryan Baird starts in the second row alongside James Ryan. And in a non-injury selection, Jemson Gibson Park starts at scrum half. Connor Murray is on the bench. Uh, Keen Tracy is here. Keen Henshaw, Baird and Gibson Park in. And great to see that Caelan Doris and Dan Sheehan are fit as well for this game. Yeah, miraculous recovery, uh, really, wasn't it? You definitely feared the worst when they went off last weekend, like particularly Caelan Doris with the the fall that he had in the disallowed try. And it's, yeah, it's a massive, massive boost to have the two of those guys available. I mean, I was kind of been out in the Ireland camp all week. And to be fair, from early in the week, the word was that they were going to recover that. I'd say there's a huge element of that. These are two guys who have worked so hard to get Ireland into this position that it was going to take something serious for them not to be involved. So um, that's massive, absolutely huge. And like, it's great as well. Like, I mean, how unfortunate is it for guys like Ian Henderson and Gary Ringrose in particular, like who's just been so unlucky. You think back to the third test last summer, missing that as well. And he's been one of Ireland's best players consistently over the last while. So you feel really bad for guys like that who, who miss out. So Ronan Kelleher is another one. He's just been dogged with injuries over the last while. You'd hope that the latest shoulder injury isn't too serious. But for guys like Dan Sheen and Caelan Doris, it's it's just massive and fully deserved that they get the chance to see this out. But yeah, so as a team, is a, a long expected lines. Like you said, the, the three changes... I mean, it just shows the remarkable, I think, strength and depth of where Irish rugby is at the moment. Like, I mean, to have a guy like Robbie Henshaw coming back into the team, like that certainly doesn't weaken Ireland at all. As much as Gary Ringrose is a loss, like Henshaw comes in and plays with Aki and I mean, the two of them know each other so well back to stolen laptop gate when the two lads went <laughs> off hunting for Robbie, La- Robbie Henshaw's laptop back in the Connacht days. I, I always fondly remember that story. So like they're they know each other inside out and I would have far less concerns about Robbie Henshaw going into the 13 jersey than Bundy Aki in Rome when that centre partnership as we spoke about Sinead already like which we'll uh, never see happen again no I don't think so yeah yeah just just 
just they, they're just too similar it just didn't work whereas Henshaw is more comfortable um well you know I say more comfortable at 12 but I think Robbie Henshaw particularly throughout the Joe Schmidt area got a little bit frustrated that he got pigeonholed into being a bit of a one-dimensional crash ball merchant when god like you think of Robbie Henshaw and he broke onto the scene at first and like you know he obviously played stints at fullback and stuff so there's far more to Robbie Henshaw's game which he has proven time and time again so um yeah I think like that's going to be a seamless switch really into the midfield like to lose it bear like Gary Ringrose but to bring Robbie Henshaw in is is massive um Ryan Baird in for Ian Henderson yeah like I mean this is a guy who you know we've all kind of been waiting for for the last couple of years to to really break onto the scene we've seen glimpses of it he's had a couple of injuries that have held him back He's been switching between the second row and the back row, but he is a guy who is just supremely confident in his own ability. A uh, bit of a different type of character, but like you need all these types of different characters. Like you've got like your Mac Hansen and your James Lowe on the wings, like two free spirits. And Ryan Baird, I think, is, you know, like he's really self assured. Um, and this is a big, big opportunity, like going up against Omar. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Games, yeah. I do still I do still think he's better suited to the back row. I will admit, I think long term, um, I think I would like to see him playing blindsided, but certainly not at the expense of Peter O'Mahony right now. But then again, a lot of people said the same thing about Ty Byrne and look how well he's been playing for Ireland over the last while in the second row. So that's really exciting, I think, to see how Ryan Baird goes. It feels like this is you know his moment to really show what he's about and obviously again it's unfortunate for Ian Henderson and in the third change Jameson Gibson Park for Conor Murray like I I was fully on board last week with Conor Murray starting I think he he absolutely deserved it I think he's had a very strong championship um, and there was no real need to rush Gibson Park back but that said, I don't think many people would argue that James and Gibson Park is still Ireland's first choice scrum half. Um, like he's been so important to everything they've done over the last while. And look, his impact off the bench last week was really, really telling in terms of Ireland pulling away from Scotland. So um I don't necessarily think that's a slide on Connor Murray whatsoever. I actually think Connor Murray was a bit unfortunate at times in that first half because um Ireland's Braytown work was so poor at that it end like he ended up having to go in and to clear out the boat like clear out rocks and stuff which you know left kind of someone else having to step into the scrum half role but that wasn't necessarily his fault so um we've seen it throughout the, the competition I think Sinead how good um Conor Murray has been and like what a guy to to have to bring off the bench um, no matter yeah. what the circumstances are because even if you think back to to was it in England in Twickenham last year when Conor Murray came off the bench he had a big big impact and like this is at a time when people are going oh like what's the point in having Conor Murray on the bench because he doesn't add tempo like Craig Casey should be on the bench but he proved last year that he can come on and he can speed up the tempo so um that's that's the only I suppose tactical change that Andy yeah. Farrell has made but I think it's one that really makes sense and yeah fully on board with that yeah, and he really is going to dictate a lot of what Ireland do on Saturday. Let's just look at the bench, Keen. Um, obviously, Conor Murray on the bench. No Ronan Kelleher, so Rob Herring is on the bench there as well. Uh, you know, Kieran Treadwell, we saw this coming as well. He's in there. And it was going to be interesting to see who was going to get that number 23 jersey. And come on in, Jimmy O'Brien. Stuart McCloskey, does he have a right to feel pretty pissed off today? 
Yeah, like I'm surprised that it's not Stuart McCloskey's. Jimmy O'Brien makes total sense, but if we think if we think back to the the guys who Eddie Farrell has been picking in a number twenty three jersey, it's by and large been a centre. It's been Bundyaki a lot of time. It's been Robbie Henshaw, and not a lot of coaches tend to do that because it obviously limits your options in terms of you know if, if in case someone gets injured. And Jimmy O'Brien, I don't think you could you could pick a better guy to wear the number twenty three jersey because he can literally play all yeah, across everyone, the back line. Yeah. So um, that makes total sense. But I am still surprised because I thought Farrell would go back to, to Stuart McCloskey. Now, he really is only a 12. So like it limits your options in terms of what you're able to do, because at least, you know, obviously Bundy didn't go that well in the 13 jersey, but he has played there in the past when Robbie Henshaw is there. He can play 12, 13 and 15 at a push as well. So I'd say Stuart McCloskey will be annoyed, Sinead. Um, he... Like there was talk last week that he was injured uh, or was he injured for the for the Scotland game? And he was definitely carrying a knock because I was at the open training session and he wasn't involved in that. You could see him doing his rehab away from from the rest of the squad. But Stuart McCloskey was in Murrayfield last week as an extra squad player, which tells you everything you need to know that he was fit. So uh, for a guy who had started the what was it the first three games um I'd say he'll be feeling pretty annoyed, actually, because he hasn't done a lot wrong uh, to be bombed out totally. And OK, if he's losing his spot to, I think, Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose, it's fair enough. They're Ireland's first choice. Um, I think still their first choice Ireland centres. But to be not even making the 23 is a is a tough pill to swallow. But I don't necessarily think he's done a lot wrong. And it's going to be very interesting when it comes down to, you know, picking not to get too far ahead of ourselves here. But when it comes down to picking a World Cup squad, like, this is the kind of thing that could go against Stuart McCloskey because he just he only plays 12. Now, he plays 12 bloody well, and that does count for a lot. But when you weigh it up against the other centres who can play 12 and 13, a Jimmy O'Brien who can play 12 and 13 on the wing fullback, and he can play out half as well. Like That's the kind of thing that goes, against, or goes with guys who are looking for that kind of 50-50 call. So um, I think he'll be really disappointed, but he can be really proud of everything that he's done in this campaign he's more than played his part and he was very good as well um last november too so um a bit of a bitter pill to swallow but again it just shows the level of competition in the squad doesn't it oh, but it's only thursday now keen you know who knows what will happen between yeah. now and on saturday come here uh, just word on the back three um it's the only kind of line in the ireland team that has started every game in the six nations keenan hansen and low and then three of the four games the man of the match has gone to um a player in the Irish back three, uh, Keenan, obviously, for the Wales win, Mac Hansen for the Italy and Scotland wins. I mean, they are playing the rugby of their lives, but maybe no player signifies more the Andy Farrell kind of touch than James Lowe. It was this time two years ago, of course, that he got dropped after the second last game against Scotland. Um, he wasn't even in the match day squad for that win over England. Uh, Jacob Stockdale started that day. Look at him now. Yeah, it's been it's been a real success, I would say, of the Andy Farrell coaching era because like there was a lot of excitement when James Lowe broke onto the scene. I think he made his debut against Wales. And then obviously it slowly kind of started going against him and so many people wrote him off. Like so many people said like he's just not cut out for Test Rugby. This is why the All Blacks were happy enough for him to go off to Leinster because he was never going to make it with them. But he's really answered a lot of his critics, which I think a lot of the Irish players have. So um yeah, like we've spoken about this, like definitely before Sinead, like that Andy Farrell doesn't want his wingers to be, he wants them to be untidy and like Mac Hansen and James Lowe typify that more than, yeah. more than anyone really. We could see it again in Murrayfield last weekend and it's just such a, a thrill to watch guys like that who, you know, 
and this isn't like a slide on Joe Schmidt whatsoever. Like, but you just can't imagine those two guys playing for a Joe Schmidt team because, you know, defensively, I do still think both of them have air, like, you know, plenty of scope still to, to improve low and Hansen. Um, but it's just what they bring on the opposite side of the ball. Like they're they're I think they're infectious. I mean, they want to get on the ball. And I think it means that everyone else around them feels comfortable enough that they want to get on the ball too. And it just kind of makes for this really positive mindset, positive approach, which is reflective in terms of what Andy Farrell is looking for from from his squad. So um it's it's just been brilliant to watch, like absolutely brilliant. And it's great stories as well. Like, I mean, how far they've come in a couple of years. And they have Hugo Keenan, who's just been just oh, been a rock like there, there's times where i think we just take it for granted that he's just going to be a nine out of ten every week do you remember when he even fumbled the ball you know yeah. in the opening minute it was like oh my goodness like he was there a possibility there that he could drop a ball he he just does the the basics so well and i when i was watching the the, the game back it was um one of the things that struck me was the pass that he threw for mac hansen uh, to score and like Mac Hansen still had a lot of work to do and it was a sensational finish um, ahead of Duane van der Merwe but there's times when you watch rugby and you're kind of looking for the complex kind of thing you know the trick player whatever but you cannot put a price on the basics done well and Hugo Keenan does the basics exceptionally well now he does a lot of other things as well but that pass like it was a winger's dream it's like it meant that Matt Hansen didn't have to break stride and allowed him that just a little extra half a yard to finish what was still a very very difficult finish so um he's just such a comfort blanket in the back three now you know if you want to if you want to say like there's still I would say I don't know if concern is the right word but we still don't really know who Ireland's uh, backup 15 is my sense is that it's Jimmy O'Brien but yeah he doesn't really play there regularly for Leinster. And if Hugo Keenan Touchwood was to go down, then it's a big ask to throw someone in there. So it's the one position that Eddie Farrell has just opted against, kind of, you know, rotating. Mike Lowry had a bit of a stint there. He's obviously not even in the wider squad now anymore. So um, it's interesting. I Like, you know, Ireland are very reliant on Hugo Keenan, but I... You know, going forward, I, I'd be interesting to see what they do in the the World Cup warm up games in August. Like, I'd be sh- like shocked if Hugo Keenan plays all of those games, even though you you've, you wouldn't put it past him, really, would you? So, um, that's one area I think that coming out of the Six Nations that uh, Andy Farrell would be mindful of that he'd like to have, you know, a backup option more assured because there's plenty of guys running at fullback. I've no doubt in training, but actually doing it in the proper in kind the of heat of battle is is what matters. Yeah, now the England team hasn't, I just checked it there again now, the England team hasn't been named as we record, but of course we know that it's been reported that Owen Farrell will start at 10. Uh, despite kind of some speculation that he picked up an ankle injury in training early this week, Amanu Tulagi, who of course has a damn fine record against Ireland, he's reportedly coming into the centre alongside Henry Slade. Uh, Keen, I thought the closer we got to Saturday that the usual kind of historical doubts and concerns would grow about England and what they can do, but it's not really happening. So I'm really beginning to worry now about the lack of worry for Saturday yeah it's the most Irish thing ever isn't it like isn't you just it? don't yeah like it just you doesn't some worry yeah it does, well Andy Farrell is probably sitting in the team hotel at the moment like hoping for a bit of adversity while every <laughs> uh, every Irish fan out there is hoping for just like for one easy smooth week where uh, you know nothing no, goes wrong well. I'm actually kind of going like I feel like his influence is even affecting me I'm now going through what what could go wrong on Saturday Ireland haven't got a yellow card yet like could it be kind of some indiscipline but kind of going through those scenarios as well well you know but if it does go wrong like you would have like you would have total faith in Ireland yeah. handling whatever 
it is like like what happened at Murrayfield last weekend was like just insane and I know like you and yourself and Rod spoke about it on the podcast earlier this week the two of us spoke about it immediately after the game and I was still trying to get my head around like what we had what we had actually just seen but like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be underestimated like what Ireland came through to keep this Grand Slam dream alive and like that has to stand for for so much going into this week and like look there's no doubt that England are capable of turning up and spoiling the party because like you just look at the caliber of players that they have but I think like when you look at the I suppose the the muddled thinking of the whole thing like Steve Bortwick doesn't seem to know if he's coming or going in terms of uh what team he's picking it's very similar to what Warren Gatland is doing you know one minute they're kind of looking towards the future like with Marcus Smith and now they're going back to Owen Farrell and you know what my sense is still that if George Ford had more game time under his belt I really think George Ford would start and you could see Farrell at 12 uh, with two laggy at 13 and I think come the World Cup I'd be shocked if that's not the way they might look to go Um, and I'm a big fan of Henry Slade I think he's class but um you look at what kind of George Ford had done with Leicester Tigers before he joined Sale under Steve Borthwick. And I've always had a, a nagging sense in the back of my mind that he would like to go back to George Ford. Obviously, he's coming back from an Achilles injury. And like for what is, it's basically a dead rubber for England. I don't, I think they're they're probably mindful of, I know uh, George Ford has been playing for Sale, but they're probably mindful of just getting him a few more games. But I think come the World Cup, Ford could be the, the man that England looked to so um it must be very hard for someone like Marcus Smith to get his head around like what like where he stands with the whole thing I mean it was pretty bizarre that he was released from that kind of mini training camp that Italy had in or England had in the build-up to the the game against France and okay he went away Marcus Smith and like he got man the match in um, a big Harlequins win over Saris was it um but he still missed three days of training in England camp. And like this is a guy who's still like very, very new in the scene. So, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, like it's hard to figure out. Um, like I never got the sense, like I love watching Marcus Smith play, like so, so exciting. But I never got the sense he was a Steve Borthwick player. Um, like Borthwick was kind of brought in. I always thought to kind of, you know, go back to basics and play the kind of, you know, attritional game plan that won Leicester Tigers uh, a premiership under him. But the game has moved on. Like, I mean, we've seen this with Warren Gatland as well. We saw it when Warren Gatland was with the, the Lions. Like, this is why I think Ireland are, you know, on course for a Grand Slam because they're playing a tempo. You look at France, the way they're playing a tempo. This is the way, you know, the modern trends have moved. And England just still seem to be stuck in, in their old ways in terms of, like, we just mentioned Hugo Keenan there. I'd imagine he is going to see a lot of high balls rain down on top of him uh, come Saturday. But, I mean, that's kind of bread and butter to Hugo Keenan, really, isn't it? So, um, like, I would agree with you, Junaid, because it's just the old Irish kind of attitude in you. Like, there's always kind of a nagging sense in the back of your mind. But all logic and sense, if you kind of take the emotion out of it, like, it, like Ireland should win this and they should win it well. Um, but it just comes down to, I suppose... Being able to handle the occasion, like the nerves, uh, like yeah, Johnny Sexton. That's the biggest thing. But, and, but like yeah, they've like, shown that they are able to do that. They are, but I like, like I'm always just amazed by the the psyche of professional players. Like, I mean, Conor Murray playing uh, when he did after he what he went through, like with his dad and stuff. Like it just, it just blows your mind at times, like how these guys are like tuned. They're just wired differently. But I mean, playing in front of your friends and family for a Grand Slam, um, like, at home to become the first Irish team to win a Grand Slam in Dublin like 
that has to that has to play on the, in the back of your mind and like all this sign suggests you know like there's been loads written and said about how the great job that Gary Keegan has done but this is a different type of pressure uh, like I was over in New Zealand obviously for the test series last year and they treated the third test as a final but that was still at the other side of the world and there was a couple of and nobody Irish... expected them really exactly, to win yeah. that third test they were still underdogs there was a couple of thousand Irish people there and it was great but they were away from the public glare you know whereas this week the hype the hype train has long since left the station um, and that's a great thing like I mean we should really be cherishing and appreciating that was the point I was making to you Sinead after the, after the game like with the Ireland under 20s going for a grand slam in Cork um, on Sunday like this really could be one one of the, like the greatest would you say probably the greatest yeah, weekend for absolutely. Irish rugby um so we should just in, enjoy it and cherish it but I think the the players know that as well they know what's at stake you know Johnny Sexton's last Six Nations game the chance to become the highest point scorer there's just so so much at stake and they've they've come so far and they've put in so much hard work that it would be like such an anti-climax if they don't go on and complete the job now but um oh wow it yeah. would be such an anti-climax I, I can't even almost go there if it doesn't go to script yeah actually. like it's it's hard to it's hard like it's really hard and this isn't like there's a fine line between being kind of logical and confident and being arrogant and i don't think anyone is being arrogant because i think even no, we're going you know, off evidence here yeah and like i think even the most diehard english supporter would say that their side is up against it um and it feels like a bit of a kind of a missed opportunity for England in some sense, because I think they're going to come out of the Six Nations. I think I'm right in saying if they lose, they'll have won two games um, in the Six Nations for three consecutive years. But, you know, they're going to come out at, at the back end of the Six Nations. And I, I don't think they're going to be any the wiser in terms of like where they're going under Borthwick, whereas Ireland are certainly, you know, they know exactly where, where they're heading. So, um, yeah, it's like, I can't wait. Like you said, it's only Thursday, but like you kind of wish the game was tomorrow, really, don't you, just to get stuck into it. But um, you can imagine how the players, I'd say they're hopping off the walls ready to go. Okay, great stuff, Keen. Thanks for that. Uh, we're going to continue our build up on the left wing tomorrow. Will Slashery will be chatting to former England international Alex Corbisiero. And we'll also have a podcast after Saturday's game. And hopefully, we will be celebrating some history and a first ever Grand Slam win for the Irish team in Dublin. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. The Six Nations on the Left Wing Podcast. Rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast.